You're listening to episode 343 of the GNU World Order. My name is Klaatu, and in this episode, we're going to talk about software licensing first up. This is in response, technically, to some listener feed or listener email. Yeah, feedback, whatever. Um, this is from Kevin. Uh, I'm not going to read the email because it's it's kind of it's gone beyond the email now. But uh, this is Kevin who was talking about software licensing a couple episodes ago, actually. And uh, he emailed me some further thoughts about that, and I didn't respond. And then he was—he he sort of poked me and was like, hey, you didn't respond to that thing. So I, 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 originally, I didn't think I had anything to say. Uh, and then I started typing a response because he asked me for a response. And I realized, actually, I did have some things to say. And let me start by saying... I am not here to praise proprietary software, but to bury it. By which I mean, the term proprietary is ha- has become one of those tags that we humans invent, or, or develop, rather. We don't invent it, actually. We do definitely develop these tags for things, because we humans famously, everyone tells me this, we, humans love to classify things and group things together and so on. I get that. So... We very frequently come up with these these labels, and we don't, unfortunately, invent new words for these labels. I mean, sometimes we kind of do. Sometimes I can't actually think of a for instance, um, but I do know that, that it's happened. We've invented words. I mean, I guess even sort of, um, isn't like cellular, is that a real word? Was that a word before cellular? I'm not sure. That could be a, a made-up word. I think a lot of our words tend to be um, sort of combinations of other words, or um, sometimes I guess we adapt really, really ancient words to, to be applicable now. I, I'm really try- I'm struggling to find a, a good example of this, but it, I, I think I'm over... I'm belaboring the point now. Point being, we have these labels, and a lot of times we just we use a different term. We, we, we appropriate a word for it. And we have done this with the term proprietary. Um, I guess, I, actually, the, the answer to my question was staring right at my face. Open source is, you could, you could argue that that's a, a made-up term for a label that is pretty specific. Obviously, it's not a made-up word. It's a combination of two words, open and source. But as, if we group those together and we say open source, and it's certainly in the context of software, then we can say, okay, this is a thing that we made up, and it's a label that we apply to things that meet these this, this set of conditions. And that's good. And proprietary, we have this label, and it it means, like, from if you read a dictionary about what proprietary means, it means relating to ownership. That's what the word proprietary means. And so you can say, this is a proprietary design. My desk, my writing desk is a proprietary design, which would mean that you created it yourself. You built the thing yourself. You sketched it out and got the timber and did did some cuts and drove some nails. And then you ended up with a table or a desk or whatever. And it's a proprietary design because you came up with it, and you own that design. It's just kind of yours. It's something that you did. We apply it very frequently in the open source world to sort of, well, non-open, right? If it's not open, then it must be proprietary, right? That's that's kind of our, um, what is it, Aristotelian 
view of things is that when you see everything you know you there's sort of two poles right there's there are these two extremes and that's all that exists there's no space between them they're just right up against each other and they are hard lines that's how we we very typically talk about proprietary software in the open source world of course in the real world which is kind of a funny thing i realize saying a real world to differentiate it between the open source world is funny because the open source world is the real world. Like, the real world got eaten, they say, by open source. So the real world is very much interested in open source. But in the real world, I think the normal computer users are a lot less interested in, well, is it open source or is it proprietary? It's more like, oh, I really like this thing that's happening. And then you say, hey, it's open source. And they say, oh, cool. And that's it. You know, that's their level of interest. It's, there's not the division. But in the open source world, there is the division. And there kind of has to be the division, right? Because you've you got to be careful out there in the in the open source real world. It, it's it's a dangerous landscape. You, you, you look at a nifty little library or application, and the next thing you know, you are using software that you – or you're using some component, some asset – that you are not allowed to then redistribute. And then where where, where are you? Where's your project? Well, it's it, it is now sort of landlocked. You can't do anything with it. So it is it's it's something that we have to look out for realistically because it will it will trick us. It will mess us up. So it's completely fair to make that differentiation. I'm just noticing that there is that differentiation and I don't want there to be I, I think that we all ought to be aware of this uh, of the fact that it is just a label it is a it is a thing that we apply partly as a warning to ourselves and partly as a warning to others that hey this thing is owned by someone else and even if you download it and put it on your computer and even if you throw money at it you don't own that you have to understand that is not something that you own if someone wants to take it away from you they have it in their eula right here a, a clause that they can do that that they can take that away and we see it in real life it happens all the time we all have a story well maybe not we all but many people have stories of that one favorite killer app that they had and they just needed to have that app and then the big evil corporation stopped making it what do people do well typically we adapt we 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 were using the thing we insisted we could not live without, we refused to switch to open source because remember, can't live without the thing, and then the thing goes away because the company took it away, and then we found something different. And of course, as we open source enthusiasts will say, you know, you can avoid that condition by switching to open source before the thing gets taken away from you, or, or gets changed irrevocably out from under you. People don't seem to listen to that all the time, and it's frustrating, and it's a thing that, that sort of makes us very annoyed at the proprietary software world, because it's the thing, and there's the threat of being taken away. We offer an alternative. People insist that the alternative's not good enough, and then the thing gets taken away, and they find a different alternative. They, they insisted they couldn't do with an alternative. No alternative was good enough, but now they've got the alternative because the thing got taken away, and, and they just didn't listen to us. It's it's a little bit, I guess, like when you tell someone you love, you know, a family member 
about something that you think would be really good for them. You know, you should get this. You should invest in this uh, some stock in this company because their their prices are gonna just blow up the next in the next year, and you'll be rich. And, and the person doesn't listen to you, and you say, "Look, I'm a stock trader by trade. This is what I do. You should listen to me." They won't listen to you, and then you know, last minute, someone uh, a TV show tells them that they should invest in this stock, and so they do, and then they get a lot of money and they say good thing i listened to that tv show and you're sitting there thinking i told them that like a year ago i don't know why that's the example that came to my head it's all very actually very very imaginary but um that's a good it's a good enough illustration right so anyway as i was saying proprietary software it's a label it's a thing that we have to be aware of problems start to arise though when that term the proprietary term either gets used in other ways or when we realize that it had implications and meanings before we started making it the label for something specific in the software world it's it's honestly one of the reasons one of the several reasons that i i tend to prefer the term non-open source or closed source something like that two reasons for that because one because it, it avoids the term proprietary, which I don't believe is super accurate, and I'm going to get to why I think that in a moment. And then two, because it brings attention to the fact that the alternative is open source. So because if you're saying proprietary, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily convey anything other than someone owns it. But to most computer users, every everything is owned, right? I mean, nothing is without an owner. So what's the big deal about proprietary? I, I don't understand. Whereas if you if you sort of talk about it in as a as a as a, a thing that is not open source, then that kind of that brings attention to the fact of well the obvious alternative to not being open is to be open. And doesn't that sound nice? And it typically does sound nice, whether or not they're going to actually adopt it or not is a completely different question. I'm just saying that proprietary seems like a throwaway term, right? We just we throw that away when we say it. It it has other meanings and furthermore, people don't understand uh, what we mean, and then we're still, we're not getting any points, we're, we're not getting a mention of open source in there because we're just talking about propri proprietary software and how it's not, not very good. So it's just, to me, it's an ineffective term. And it's made even, I think, less effective when you realize we all essentially have proprietary software in our lives, on our computers, right now. You have it. Look. Look on your hard drive. Look in your home directory. There's proprietary software there. And you're thinking, but Clat2, I don't. I run Linux, and this is fine, and I've, maybe I've even got the Libre kernel, so there's no f firmware blobs lurking on my motherboard, and I got a, a Purism laptop, so there's no... There, all the chips are open source, or I don't even know if that's true, but, you know, I mean, we we all hear about the, the dangers of secret forbidden proprietary stuff lurking in the depths of our computer and that's not what i'm talking about i'm actually just talking about the stuff that you use on an everyday basis like just the stuff that you generate essentially user data right like there's there there's a script on my hard drive right now probably called fit fit and it's a little script that i use to crop uh, pngs and jpegs down to a certain size for a website that i contribute to sometimes and it, I think it shrinks it down and it adds uh, some metadata. And that's that's all it does. And it's a little script, and I've never published it online. It is proprietary software. I own it. I've never shared it with anyone. That's actually not true. I've shared it with someone. But 
pretend like I haven't owned it. I mean, there are other scripts, not that one, that I have not shared with anyone because they're just my scripts. They're just things that I use on an everyday basis that I don't think about. It's not a big open source project that I'm creating. It's something that is probably redundant to most other Linux users who have the same workflow as me. I don't know how many of those there are, but you know, it's, they're, they're little things. They're just throwaway scripts that you write because after 10 times of doing something, you think, no, no, this needs to be automated, or, or uh, this needs to be, this needs to be scripted. Probably it's not automation, but yeah, this needs to be scripted. And so you script, you script it. It takes like five minutes, ten minutes, okay, an hour after you debug it, and then you never have to do those ten steps again. You just run that script, and you never think, oh, I need to publish it. I need to put a license on this and publish it online quick, because otherwise. I've got proprietary software on my soft on my on my laptop. That's not how that works. This is just it's just this is the dream of Unix, right? This is exactly what Unix wanted to have happen. People should be writing their own software on a daily basis. People should be able to use components from the system, piece them together for bigger results. And while it may be useful, maybe possibly maybe uh, for people to post every single little tiny script that they write for themselves and every little configuration file that they ever generate and so on online for other users after a certain point we could imagine that that would become information overload there would be so many different ways to remove a space from a file name, for example, or so many ways to rename a file uh, in bulk, so many ways to crop JPEGs and PNGs, so many ways to desaturate a picture and make it black and white, so many ways to do all of these little tasks that maybe me and and maybe not you, but that person, and then not, not those people, but that person, we automated it. We've got it for ourselves. It works for us. Maybe we're piping in some weird information that 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 maybe I'm piping in some weird information that that person doesn't need. So their their version of this obvious and redundant task is a little bit different from mine, and so on. So in other words, this is what Linux should be: is a bunch of people with their custom workflows on their computers that work really really well for them. And there shouldn't be there shouldn't be sort of this weird obligation of well I've got to share this now or else I'm I'm falling prey to the evils of proprietaryism because that's just not a real that's not how it works and that's not how it should work it it can't it should not work any other way it shouldn't be that if you don't open your computer to everyone for all to see you're being a, a bad person and you're being greedy and you're not sharing the code. That's just not that, – that isn't the point, and I don't think that's ever been the point of, of free software. So that relates to Kevin in the, the – remember Kevin? He was the guy who sent me an email, and technically I'm responding to it. Um, that relates to him in, in this way. He is releasing some sort of operating system or an environment or something like that, and he is hoping to provide support for his users. And the support that he is providing – the, the system by which he is providing support will functionally be proprietary software, right? It's it's his home his home sort of brewed homespun home brewed what's the word? His custom made infrastructure to to ensure that his customers can access um, support and probably I imagine file 
um, support tickets and and that he can track them and so on. And I just I, I feel like if you are the owner of the problem and you've got something some system that you have created to solve that problem i don't i don't feel like we're crossing into the realm of like you know open source versus proprietary maybe we are maybe you could argue that we were maybe you think well klaatu that's awfully short-sighted because today it's just kevin but tomorrow it's going to be kevin and his multi-million dollar business with their with the software code that he wrote and isn't sharing with the world and that if anything surely would be classified as non-open or proprietary. And I can see that. I can see that sort of dangerous eventuality of we've given someone an inch and they've taken several miles and they've created this this big evil proprietary thing that is going to take over uh, Linux. But I, I do feel like probably we all kind of have to sit and, and sort of ponder for ourselves the tool set that we are using and whether or not we want that tool set to become a major open source project where people will contribute and that that you would even accept merges too i mean in kevin's case and again i don't know i don't know kevin's actual use case i don't know his intentions but in kevin's case i mean so he has the software that he's offering support that he uses to track support uh, tasks great he puts it online as an open source thing is he going to get actual contributors does he want users is that one of his goals does he want people to to contribute and use the software or is this truly just for himself and is there anything wrong about developing software for yourself i i really don't think so and i don't think most people in open source would say that was a wrong or bad thing i do think that we are a little bit hesitant to embrace that idea when it's put into those terms i mean it does sound it sounds like a classic like sort of evil creep right i mean like oh sure we 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 let this happen today for this one person but just wait just wait in six years it's going to be google all over again it's going to be mongodb all over again it's going to be microsoft it's going to be you know all these all the people who have who've extended and and embraced this thing and then later snuff it out but we have to temper that with just pragmatism i think and and i believe me i'm not saying we need to temper our use of closed source software with pragmatism and you know if you have to use photoshop or sketchup or or autocad or maya or i don't know i'm just trying to think oh microsoft office that's a big one then go for it because it's just a pragmatic thing to do i'm not saying that at all i'm not that i'm not on that level of pragmatism at all i'm simply saying that at some point there's just real life single computer user usage and at some point you, you design systems that work for yourself and you don't you're not obligated to share those and that's fine and i think it's almost probably better not to share than to share and ignore so in other words i think probably in theory kevin could probably if he published his source code for his little support thing or whatever he's got going on I think he could probably get some help. Like he could probably if he if he wanted to expend the energy to publicize it and to attract people to the project and then to get merge requests or patches or whatever, he might learn something new. Other people might learn from him, but realistically, that's not his goal. His goal is to accomplish a very specific task, and it's his task. It is his work. It is his job, his self-provided job. And that doesn't have to be open 
It doesn't have to be closed. It's proprietary. And in a weird way, that's the most Linux thing he could do. cup of coffee hopefully for you i've got mine and some i don't know if you can hear it but some lawn work apparently the neighbor while i was going to go get my coffee uh the neighbor fired up a uh, some kind of lawn trimming tool so uh hopefully it's not too loud in in your audio it is right in my ear it sounds like he's right outside my window but he's actually not anyway in this segment i wanted to talk about something that i've i've mentioned before but I just recently I kind of had reinforced. And that topic is the example that Linux has, as it turns out, set for a lot of other major players in the computing world. For instance, there are, I mean, this is the thing that made me think of all of this. There, there are things out there right now that you can download on Windows and Mac that will provide you a package manager. Like, not not something like a package manager, a package manager. One is called Brew, or Homebrew, rather, and you can find it at something like brew.sh, I think is the website, the the URL. And uh, the other one is chocolatey.org. That is chocolatey, C-H-O-C, choco, O-L-A-T-E-Y.org. And that's the one for Windows. And and they provide, a if through a terminal of some sort, whether it's... Uh, the non-open source terminal interface of the Mac OS um, operating uh, Mac operating system, or the iTerm to open source interface for the same operating system, or PowerShell, the believe it or not open source um, interface for Windows. You type in things like brew install foo, and it pulls down a a script to build foo and 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 processes it and installs it on your system and then do the same for bar and then when you want to update both you can do brew update i, I guess I, i'm a little bit hazy on the syntax because i don't use it but uh brew updates uh foo and bar and it will update both of them and so on same goes for chocolatey there's a command with chocolatey i believe it's choco if I'm recalling correctly, and and it's the same kind of deal. You can install things, you can update them, you can keep them updated, you can uh, look at the different options that they have and the different versions that they have online, and so on. And when I was looking at these two tools, I mean, it's not amazing that they exist. For instance, I, I know I don't know much about the Windows world, so I can't really comment on that. I know that there's Sigwin and things like that. I don't know what kind of amenities that offered in 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 the in the time that it was more relevant i guess than it is now not that it's not relevant now i'm just saying there's other stuff out there now with sigwin and and before uh on mac os you had things like uh fink project and uh mac ports both of which i did episodes on here on 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 this show actually a long long time ago back in season 0 i think or maybe 1 a little bit 
there were the, the, I talked about both of those projects, and that was like back in two thousand eight, I want to say. So that that they've they've been around. the The concept is is not new, but I think the the popularity of these two projects, specifically Brew and Chocolati, um, I think is is really kind of uh, surprising. It's, it's pronounced. It's noticeable. Now, granted, I'm looking at it through a, a lens of computer geekery that a lot of a lot a lot of people do not look at it. And so, to if I stepped outside the house right now and just went to some random person on the street and said, "Hey, do you use brew or chocolati? Chocolati? Choco?" Um, they would not know what I'm talking about. They would look at me like I was talking about uh, a variety of drinks. So I don't expect, I don't believe that they're sort of that popular, that big of a deal. On the other hand, they are a big enough deal that they've kind of, they've made an impression on, on at least the developer world. And, and they've made a, an impression on the developer world in a way that I don't think it's, it, it, it is less easy to ignore now than it used to be. Like if Chocolati had, had existed five years ago, I think it would have fallen flat. And frankly, if Brew had list, ha, had had gotten started uh, 10 years ago, it probably would have fallen flat because there are other things out there that were like it enough and and there was no real point to it. So the fact that it's kind of hit now can partly be chalked up to just kind of general fad, right? It's kind of there's some group out there who thought for whatever reason there needed to be a new package manager for certainly Mac OS. Why they thought that, I don't know. There's Mac ports, I think that's still around. There is a package source from NetBSD, so that, that would still work. I, I'm not sure if NixOS, or rather Nix, the package manager, works on, on Mac, but definitely at least package source and Mac ports should have should technically have been all people needed, right? But for whatever reason, some group decided there needed to be a reinvention of that, and it, it results in in brew and it's getting pull requests for new recipes or i think they call them what do they call them bottles or brews or or something like that so you know it's it's getting these it's getting activity it's it's getting support from the from a community that that i guess built itself from out of nothing i don't know where it all came from but there it is it's popular it's big it's important it's noticeable same goes for chocolatey chocolatey um, it, it's it's there. People are using it. It's getting a lot of uh, contribution. It's something that people can install and use and benefit from right now. And if you look at that, what that actually says, that means that of of four major operating systems on this planet, all four of them have package management systems. Well, I could stop there. I mean, they have package management systems. And and furthermore, those package management systems can trace their inspiration or and or their roots back to Unix. I mean, I, I'm not clear on, on how we want to measure the port system in BSD and the apps system in Debian and which came first. I mean, obviously the port system did. Was it in a state that was sort of had apt ease of use at that point? I don't know. I wasn't using it back then, so I have no opinion or insight into that. 
So leaving aside sort of like, well, who gets to claim the the kernel of this idea, whether it's the BSD folk or, or Ian Murdoch himself, I, I don't know and I don't care, it doesn't matter. I think the point is that the, the concept is, is a is a thing born of the open source software movement, and that's exciting because that concept, which arguably has been a source of much contention even within Linux itself, right? I mean, I've talked about package management and how it actually doesn't like this sort of centralized package manager thing doesn't necessarily make sense in today's open source world right because you've got so many sources of different open source packages and you're expecting somehow for them to all sort of coalesce into a centralized repository not so sure that that's a realistic expectation for everybody. I mean, there needs to be some other system, such as Flatpak or Snap or whatever we're using. But the the concept of of this of of the the complete OS, and I'm doing that sort of in air quotes. That complete OS, whether you want to install it or not, but the the source media for your operating system living out there in the world on a server somewhere, and you are able to cherry pick the parts of it that you actually do want on your computer locally that's a huge huge thing that's that's it's one of those things where the recognition of the network being sort of the adjunct to your computer it's just it's it's huge and and the recognition of there being an idea of well this is the OS and it it is managed by lots of different people and and the, the concept of a third party is more of something that you look at in degrees rather than, well, if it's not by this one entity, then it's a third party app. And, and instead, you look at applications in terms of, well, what did I install when I downloaded the ISO? And what have I added to it since then? And what do I need in the case of system failure and uh, recovery? What do I need to layer back over my install what what's recoverable quickly what will get me back up and running the fastest that benefit of a package oh and not to even not to mention uh the developer angle of all of this what what libraries do does my program that i'm that i'm making right now what libraries does it re, um rely upon what what does it need to have available to it and and since those are, you know, since these are libraries that are important, let me grab the the latest version and make sure that I have that on my development uh, machine. And let me track what I've installed. And when I'm finished, let me dump everything out into a text file so I know all my requirements and so on. This is all really, really important. And or, or rather, it's beneficial to a lot of different people. It's beneficial to users. It's beneficial to developers beneficial to just the ecosystem of an operating system and it's been contentious it's been something where people say oh linux can't you can't even install software like on a normal computer a quote normal computer on linux for for 20 years we've had to put up with that kind of critique and now what do you know the the two most major operating systems that most of the planet knows exist they have not officially but they have as I like to say, officially, unofficially, adopted these these methods of of implementing what Linux has been doing, Linux and BSD have been doing for years, for decades. And that is something that I feel as open source uh, users and sort of contributors in whatever way we contribute, we should be really, really proud of that. Because it's easy to feel a little bit slighted by it. 
I mean, it's super easy to feel a little bit unimpressed, right? You, you see people championing this package management system on Mac OS or something, and you think, well, that's, that's great that you have that. It's great that you can finally easily update from the Python 2.75 that your operating system still ships with to Python 3 with one command. It's really cool that you can update your whole stack of, of extra libraries and stuff with one command, but we've been doing that for 20 years already, and we've said that that's how things need to happen for development, but no one listened to us, and now you think this is the greatest invention. It's super easy to feel a little bit, I don't know, threatened slash not what what's I don't know what what's the opposite of jealous maybe possessive you know like sort of like well this was our thing you didn't like it before why are you using it now talking about it like it's just normal like where's the where's the apology that we're owed well in the real world I don't think that really happens so much you don't really get the formal apology I think is what we're learning largely from for instance Microsoft you you just don't you don't really get that what you get instead is imitation and as everyone knows, as the very famous saying goes, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And that's what we're seeing here in a lot of different ways. You can look at, for instance, Microsoft or any other company that you want to pick on. You can look at them and say, well, they are suddenly embracing open source because it's going to benefit them at some point. And obviously, you know, you're not wrong you're not you, maybe there's a counter argument to that. Maybe if if we said that, we weren't we're, we're not being fair to some, you know, there, there, there's some angle in there that we're not, we're not necessarily addressing. But all of that aside, the, the, the thing that we can concentrate on and really, really take away from it is that they are into open source. They've come around to open source. They, they aren't open source. I mean, not yet. Not until window. Not until Microsoft offer uh, answers the free foundation software foundation's um, request that they open source Windows 7, which is end of life now, and Free Software Foundation, you can look this up, they actually launched a campaign requesting that Microsoft open sources Windows 7, which I thought was was a brilliant campaign. They, they had a little petition that you could sign. I meant to mention it on this show and, and kept forgetting when it was actually happening, but I think it, it still still proves a point, right? Microsoft is not open source. I mean, even if they open source Windows 7, I think we could accurately argue that they are not open source. But either way, dealing with what we have right now, Microsoft is not open source. They are not an open source company by any means. They may have embraced open source in many ways, but they I don't think anyone would say, yes, well, Microsoft is a is a, a very large open source company. They just wouldn't say that because there's so many obvious things that are not open source within Microsoft. Like, you know, the operating system, or the office suite, or the database, or, you know, just you, you can just go down the list, right? So they're embracing open source, which means essentially that they are, they're contributing, they're mimicking, they're, they're doing the thing that open source people do. They're imitating companies that, that are truly open source. They're, they're imitating, they're, they're, they're looking for all the world like an open source company to someone who doesn't, doesn't necessarily have too much scrutiny who doesn't look too closely at the licenses, they seem like an open source company. They run GitHub. I mean, GitHub is open source, right? That was sarcasm, just just, just to clarify. So they're imitating this, this practice. 
this open source way of doing things. And that is, no matter what, no matter how threatening it seems or how how nefarious their motives may may we may suspect their motives are, they're still doing the open source thing. And that's a huge form of flattery, whether they say it or not, right? And they're not going to ever say it. They're not ever going to say, you know, it, it seems that all those Linux hackers back in the 90s and the aughts were right all along, and we were wrong. They're never going to say that. We, we might like to hear that. That's one of those sort of, we want a public apology types of consternation things, you know, where people are remain upset at some group because they never apologized and and there will continue to be things that Microsoft does that are that aren't enough right that they've never apologized and they've never they 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 haven't offered anything really without a catch you could probably argue something but i mean i think the x fat drivers that aren't drivers is a pretty good example of kind of the conditions of their open source contribution by and large but the point is that they're valid contributors to open source now and that is a huge compliment to open source it's a compliment to linux it's a con- it's a compliment to you and me who are using open source right now and believe that open source is truly the correct answer so we should accept that as a compliment that that's something that that we should be open to we should be eager to accept that kind of compliment because it's it's loud and clear, even if it's not explicit, if that makes any sense. Now, there's another aspect to this sort of thing, and I think that this is the one that Mac and Windows don't actually know that's happening. I don't believe that the the, the creators of this of these operating systems fully understand exactly what I at least I hope they're they're allowing. To, to the sort of surface around them. And this could turn around and, and bite back. So, so this could be incorrect. But I feel like one of the side effects of this sort of these movements within the, op- the, within the operating systems of, of Mac OS and Windows, I feel like a side effect of these, these movements that are sort of embracing and sort of really insisting upon a shell interface, a, a text shell interface, a command line, a terminal, whatever you want to call it, they're insisting on that kind of interface because someone, someone out there, some people are saying, hey, look, this is actually a, a far more efficient and manageable way of doing this set of tasks. And certainly there's not a package manager out there so far that is shipping from Mac or Windows that embraces that that at all, right? You You don't see a homebrew system inside of Mac OS off the shelf, at least not yet. You don't see packages signed and delivered by Apple or developer.apple or whatever. Same goes for Windows. You don't see, you know, PowerShell doesn't come to you with Chocolaty available to you out of the box. That's something that you have to go download and install yourself. And and there's even a, a couple of extra setups in there to to relax the um, the authentication or the permission uh, aspect of PowerShell, so so they haven't officially embraced it, but I feel like it is happening whether they know it or not, and by that happening, I'm I'm assuming and I'm hoping that they are normalizing the idea of a text based interface because people who who see at least you know someone in their life. If, if it's not themselves, then someone else near them, they see them using 
PowerShell or Terminal, and suddenly it doesn't seem quite so weird that a Linux user might be using a text interface, or that certain Linux distributions don't even boot to anything but a text interface. Like, I got an email from someone the other day, and it was, um, it, it was saying that there were, there were some, there were some complaints about how Slackware didn't boot to, uh, a, a, you know, a, a GUI installer. And I, I got the impression that the, that the complaint was interpreting that as an error. Like, that, that was a mistake. Like, the text console of Slackware was the fallback mode. Now, if you've ever used Slackware, and I have, you'll know that the install the, the only installer for Slackware is a text-based installer. So it's it's not a fallback mode. That's that's the installer. That's it. And and this email was complaining that people would would think that and furthermore that they would they would think that and not not bother to sort of read the documentation and learn that hey, this is a distribution of Linux and the default installer is text-based. Like couldn't even be bothered to understand that that wasn't a mistake. And and that was you know vaguely disappointing to this person who emailed me, and I kind of have to agree. I mean it's it's really disappointing when when you hear from people these complaints about something that you just think, well, if you can't even bother to do enough research to understand that that wasn't an error, then what hope is there really to to communicate anything? I mean, even if you responded to an email from someone like that, you, like, there's no assurance that they're going to read your email explaining that that wasn't an error, you know? They're, like, if you don't, if you don't at least do that much, then it, it's practically like all bets are off, and it, that can be discouraging. And just the, sort of the, 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 the fear and, and kind of the frowning upon, well, this is a text-based interface, so it involves less, less functionality, slash, lex, uh, less, um, less work has gone into it. I think that's a that's a, a a really it's a it's a pity that people view it that way. Now, as with all complaints, there's some little kernels of truth there, right? I mean, if some if someone has programmed something and has not bothered creating a graphical interface, there's there's a possibility that that program required less effort than someone when, when someone has programmed something to have a GUI interface simply because the difference there is that w- with a GUI interface you you need to have these header files and these libraries and if you leave those off then you don't need those so obviously some more effort went into creating header files and libraries that 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 get used in one application and aren't used in another. So technically speaking, there's truth there, right? It's, yes, you're right. The The programming took possibly less effort. Now, that's not entirely always true because, for instance, FFmpeg, I imagine, is a pretty complex program, and I don't know that you could argue that FFmpeg with a GUI would be any more complex than FFmpeg. Um, there are I've seen GUIs with for FFmpeg. That was my first open source application that I was using, sort of knowing that it was open source. Was an FFmpeg GUI, believe it or not. So it, it, they've they've existed, and I guess they they represent effort, but in terms of functionality, there's nothing extra there. So yeah, I think there's an argument there, and I get what people are sort of sensing that well, if you only did a text interface, then you didn't go to the extra trouble of doing something that was not text interfaced, and therefore you have done less for me. I, I can see how that would be interpreted that way, and I'm hoping that by normalizing the text interface and saying 
or by I should say renormalizing it because it used to be normal. That's the the great travesty of all this is that computers used to be the text interface. Like that was it. That was the whole computer. And the fact that people are having to sort of relearn that that's an okay way to interface with computers and in fact arguably is in many cases uh, the better way, like the more efficient way, the purer way. And, the, and by pure, I don't mean some weird sort of like well, this is what computing means to me. I mean, like, literally, you're typing in words that the computer is going to parse exactly for what they are, whereas with a GUI, many times you're, you're, you're making selections from predetermined selections that are options that someone else has, has provided you because that, in the mind of that person, is all you would ever want to do with that application. And that may not be true. And a lot of times a GUI doesn't really open up the things that you want to do because there's just not a box for that. They didn't think to put a put a little tick mark for, yes, I'd like to use, I don't know, standard input as my random seed for this generative art that I'm about to create. Whereas if you do something weird like that in, I don't know, FFmpeg or something, you never know what'll happen. So there you go. The text interface can be a powerful thing. You and I know that, dear listener. Other people, I think, are starting to warm up to that idea or will warm up to that idea once now that uh, homebrew and chocolatey and and other things out there exist that are telling people just kind of by existing that that text interface idea wasn't such a bad idea. It's not such a it's not such a scary thing. It may be foreign. It might be confusing at first. But the fact that it's a text interface is not the weird thing. That's okay that can be a normal interface as well. So not only are Mac and Windows accidentally complementing open source by by mimicking and taking plays right out of the playbook of open source and contributing back to open source because they have to, but they are also helping us as open source people, I think indirectly, they're helping us, they're giving, they're lending voice to our explanation that computers ought to serve the user. Now, they're doing their darndest to convince people el- otherwise. Like, the actual operating systems, don't don't take my... I don't want you to take this positive spin on this thing as if to say Mac and Windows are now on our side or are even helping us along. I'm saying because these open source projects exist within that those operating systems or, or rather within those sort of spheres of influence that is lending voice to open source mac and windows themselves however are doing their darndest to reverse that control as usual right you're 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 not getting any more actual control over what happens on your computer just because you happen to be typing stuff into a terminal you're getting more options and more choice which is very open source centric but that data and that the 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 code that you're running is still closed off from you. You cannot see that code. You can go to opensource.apple.com or whatever, open.apple.com, whatever it is. You can see what kind of source code they do offer you, and I guarantee you most of it is completely not even their code, and then the the, the code that is is not very substantial. You, you'll be sorely disappointed, I think. Windows, I don't even know. I don't even think you can do that much. So the operating systems themselves are are, are still closed and still very anti-user friendly. They're 
they and and by user friendly i obviously mean more like your data and your privacy and so on they are what they are but these open source projects exist within them in spite of them and because the users are actually crying out for it they're saying look we want this functionality and they're getting it would those same users be better off switching to linux absolutely i have no question about no question in my mind they would be better off switching to elementary os or something like that and just getting off of that train but they're not doing that but they are using open source and that's a powerful thing and we should take it as a compliment we should take it as a good thing and we should take it as an opportunity to point out that you know linux offers a lot of those other a lot of those things on a different and open platform you should give it a try okay that's it for the show this time thank you for listening i'll talk to you next week listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Congratulations, you're the grand prize winner in a nationwide contest. Oh, never won anything. Well, you have now. Uh,